Hello and welcome to Thanks for the Knowledge, the weekly fanbyte news show rounding up the headlines and games and entertainment in one handy podcast. I'm your host, John Warren. This week, I sat down for a lengthy chat with financial planner Lewis Weil to talk about renewed public interest in stock trading and some insight about what actual real-life people should know about student debt, budgeting, and more. We answered a lot of questions from the Fanbyte Discord. You can check that out at fanbyte.casa. Uh, so stay tuned for that interview. First, we absolutely have to cover what was a ludicrous week for news. This week, Sony held a State of Play event showcasing what we can expect on PlayStation platforms in the coming weeks, months, and maybe even years. Uh, Kena, Bridge of Spirits, has been part of the Sony rotation since the PlayStation 5 was announced, and this beautiful game now has a release date, which is August 24th for PlayStation 4 and 5. Uh, Bethesda also dropped a new look at Arcane's Deathloop, the latest immersive sim from the studio that has perfected the genre with Dishonored and Prey. It's still set to come out this year and had one of the best trailers I've seen in a long time, showcasing exactly what people want from arcane games like stealth, style, superpowers, gunplay, and so much more. Solar Ash is the follow-up to Heart Machine's excellent Hyper Light Drifter and takes place in what appears to be the same in-game universe. Solar Ash flips the formula and puts the player in control of Ray, who moves deftly, deftly in large 3D environments to battle mammoth creatures a la Shadow of the Colossus. Traversal looks an awful lot like The Pathless, another great PlayStation 5 game that I played, uh, but we'll see how similar the games are when Solar Ash comes to PlayStation 4 and 5 later this year. Uh, Sifu is Slow Clap's next game. If you're not f- uh, familiar with the Slow Clap studio, they created Absolver, a martial arts action adventure game that had some pretty cool ideas. Sifu looks uh, much more like a traditional martial arts movie with fights breaking out in close quarters and a ton of environmental interaction just as the best martial arts films typically do. Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach takes the make sure the murderous animatronic creatures aren't on their way to kill you formula and turns them into a first-person 3D stealth game. Imagine Amnesia, but with Chuck E. Cheese robots instead of whatever chases you in Amnesia because I'm too scared to look. You can check out all the other announcements over on Enron Khan's Roundup on Fanbyte.com, but both I and Sony have saved the best for last at the state of play. Final Fantasy VII Remake is unsurprisingly getting a PlayStation 5 upgrade this summer with updated graphics, faster loading, a photo mode, and more. The new version of one of Fanbyte's best games of 2020 is called Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade. It would probably be enough to add these quality of life improvements and graphical touches, but the big surprise from Square Enix is an entirely new new chapter of the game focused on franchise favorite character Yuffie as she infiltrates Midgar to investigate Shinra with partner in crime Sonon, who is an original character. You can check out the PlayStation 4 version of this game in March on PlayStation Plus, but if you want to get a free upgrade to the PlayStation 5 version, you'll have to already own the game for PS4 outright or just buy it individually if you haven't played it at all yet. Uh, The one big downside to Intergrade is it appears to be a PlayStation 5 exclusive, meaning the Yuffie content will not come to PlayStation 4 players of the game. This is a bummer, especially considering most experts believe there will still be difficulty getting a PlayStation 5 console easily by the time Intergrade releases on June 10th. Still, new Final Fantasy VII Remake content is good news to me. 
sad little footnote uh, from Sony this week is the apparent sunsetting of Sony's first-party Japan studio. Uh, creators of PlayStation classics like Jumping Flash, Parappa the Rapper, uh, Gravity Rush, and A Legend of Dragoon. The studio is being restructured and many devs let go, which is a huge bummer because since 1993, this studio has been an anchor for much of PlayStation's worldwide library. The silver lining behind the studio's closure is it, it is reportedly being done to bolster Team Asobi, a spinoff of Japan's studio responsible for Astro's Playroom, another one of 2020's very best video games. Nintendo has been announcing things left and right as of late, and this week the Pokemon squad got their wishes met with Friday's Pokemon Direct presentation. First up was a deeper dive into the previously announced new Pokemon Snap. The game appears to play a whole lot like its Nintendo 64 predecessor, only much prettier. Online sharing will be a big component missing from the original. You'll also be judged based on unique moments you can get out of the Pokemon you capture to film. We saw several shots of the player throwing a piece of fruit to lure Pokemon into doing cute stuff. You know the drill. New Pokemon Snap will throw its fruit at you on April 30th. Two major previously unannounced products were also shown in the Pokemon Showcase. First up was a remake of Pokemon Diamond and Pearl called Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. The original DS games came out in 2007 and have received a somewhat safe update in the graphics department, abandoning the vibe and scale of Pokemon Sword and Shield for something a bit smaller befitting of an old handheld console. This duo of Switch games will be out later this year. The biggest surprise of the showcase was the announcement of Pokemon Legends Arceus, an open-world action-adventure game set in the Sino uh, region before modern times. You'll take a novice Pokemon trainer out into the world, a la Breath of the Wild, to roll in the grass, throw Pokeballs from bushes, and pit your Pokemon against other Pokemon in what looks like the most ambitious Pokemon game to date. One thing everyone did notice is how bad the frame rate of this game appears to be, which is sparking an entirely new round of speculation about the Nintendo Switch Pro console rumored for years now. Pokemon Legends Arceus will come out in 2022. My guest this week is a financial planner and the founder of Money Positive. Uh, he is a friend, uh, trusted support in this ever-changing world of of finance uh lewis weil hi lewis hey john thanks How's for having going? me on <laughs> yeah of course I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good man you doing okay i'm yeah i'm doing pretty good i think um i've i've watched the world kind of change drastically over the past 13 months god it's almost been a year that <laughs> yes, we, oh my gosh. We, that we got sent home on march 9th so we're closing in on a oh, full wow. year and that that anniversary weighs heavy on me. Um, But I've, I've watched the world change a lot and I've watched a lot of my peers become very interested in, uh, I think finance. I mean, they want to protect their own finances. They want to kind of get a better position in jobs. They want to navigate a, I think a pretty harsh uh, environment and they don't understand a lot of things. So, I wanted to talk to you about a few things. One, I saw a massive renewed interest in the stock market after the GameStop fiasco. <laughs> Let's just call it a fiasco because I don't know <laughs> what else to call it. Um, what what have you kind of seen as a result of that, you know, unfolding? You know, it's interesting uh, to see this interest in the stock market. Um, I think there's a lot of anthropology i think that maybe the anthropology is more interesting than anything else of just 
collective action of people coming together and doing, um, making something happen in the world. I don't want to go off on a huge tangent, but it just reminds me of all the things that people have done for lulls on the internet over the years. <laughs> and I definitely didn't see, um, manipulating the stock market coming. But when I saw it happening, I was like, okay, I get what y'all are up to. Um, yeah. it kind of fits, right? The yeah. trajectory kind of makes sense once we saw it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's always been this interest in like trying to find the next thing, uh, taking advantage of it and getting rich, uh, so that's not new, and you know, it. I think that's kind of stuff will keep happening. Though I'm curious to see what the fallout regulate, like from the regulation side, from the technology side, is going to be. Um, but yeah, it happened really quickly, and then ended really quickly. Yeah, and it also ended with them paying $2.8 million to fire their CFO. I don't know if you saw that. This oh, week, no, I didn't. At yeah. Robinhood? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 not at Robinhood, at GameStop. So, oh, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. GameStop's CFO, they 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 paid $2.8 million to boot him, uh, Jim Bell. So he's out there. That just happened, I think, like yesterday afternoon. Uh, Reb, Reb Valentine over at IGN wrote this, like, incredible – I don't know. I want to say like 4,000 word, uh, just kind of retrospective on what happened. And like, I think it was maybe 15 minutes after she hit publish, uh, they, they fired Jim oh Bell. Oh my God. And so there's just like, all, it's just like <laughs> the news cycle is brutal yeah. on this stuff. Yeah. Updated 15 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah. I so, did think it was funny when I saw that they picked GameStop. I was like, that's, that's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, now the guy, the guy that's in uh, that that was basically in the subreddit um, that had actually you know taken a position on GameStop, GameStop stock, like back in 2019. Uh, people are now suing him. You know, they're like yeah. blaming him for a lot of the stuff, and and I've I think that's very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think is going to come out of this? You know, you mentioned regulatory stuff. Like, do you think things will will change in any sort of significant way? Oh gosh, I can't. I you know I sorry. This is great radio. I hesitate to speculate. No, that's um, that's, that's, that's um, a good answer. <laughs> no, I don't know because I can't think. Uh, I don't see what the logical outcome is because, yeah. as far as I can tell, they didn't do anything wrong. They said they got together and said, "Hey, we're going to do this," and then they did this, um, which is things that companies have done forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how they can – I don't know what law they could make that says, uh, you know, people can't decide to buy a stock together. Right. Or So I, you know, I don't know what the logical outcome is, but I've also learned that logical outcomes from laws and incidents aren't uh, – they're not – well, yeah, they're not very logical. So I'm kind of waiting to see what that is. But – you know, to be honest, it doesn't eat up much of my the space in my brain mm-hmm. um, as a investment advisor. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to like kind of make the point that I thought the most relevant stories the, those weeks was uh, student loans being deferred. I thought that was the most impactful thing happening to regular people in the markets uh, and in finances the last uh, couple weeks or last few weeks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what will come out, but I also don't know how relevant it will be just to regular people. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. Um, 
I, I took to our discord to, uh, you know, have our community ask some questions because I, I think this is one of those things that people don't actively talk about. But then the second I kind of like, uh, dumped that chum in the water, I guess, like people mm-hmm. were really excited to like ask someone who knows the stuff, a lot of questions. So, um, let's well, start with something that is, uh, you you brought up actually two things that we'll start with. Um, one is kind of on the the stock investment side. Um, someone in the Discord had questions about ro- the Robinhood app, and I want you to maybe explain what the Robinhood app is, and also there are other apps like it, but explain what they do, and then maybe give me um, your kind of view on um, you know, using one of those things as opposed to kind of other traditional methods of uh, stock trading? Yeah. So Robinhood is a brokerage app. So there's investing in tax advantage accounts like 401ks and IRAs, things where there is some amount of tax benefit to investing, which is usually for one's retirement. Uh, And then there are what are called brokerage accounts where they are taxable. So the things that are happening inside your portfolio, whenever you get a dividend, uh, whenever you trade a stock, that's a taxable event versus when you do it inside of an investment account. So first, I always like question people. It's like, what are you doing, doing brokerage trading when you haven't maxed out your 401k or your IRA, like taking advantage of that kind of built in uh, benefit? But what's going on in those apps is it it's giving it is giving access to people to participate in the stock market and buy and sell what is actually very small amounts of stocks. Um, so normally uh, and historically, when you buy and sell stocks, there is a commission. There are commission and fees that come with it. And so if there's a $5 fee on a $30 stock, well, now you need to make back five bucks before you even break even. Um, Robinhood uh, had the promise of like no fee transactions. So that's helpful for your return. Uh, but what the problem with Robinhood is they make the, they're a data company. They make their money uh, trend selling the data that they're getting from people who are using their app. And that was actually probably one of the downfalls for this effort was all these people were using Robinhood and then Robinhood was turning around and selling that data to the counterparties. So whenever you buy a, whenever you buy a stock, someone has to sell it to you. Whenever you sell a stock, someone has to buy it from you. Right. Um, And so they were, they're giving data that, you know, something like, a million people have their finger hovering over the buy button on this stock. Um, so if you have privacy concerns, that's you know something you need to be aware of that your data is being bought and sold and other people are doing uh, transactions based on the behavior that other people are doing because uh, retail, what are called retail investors, just regular people buying and selling stocks are considered to be unsophisticated. Um, so usually... When, uh, you know, stockbrokers, hedge fund managers and stuff see 
that something has reached the regular population, they actually use that as a counterindication mm. to say like, well, this thing's done because right. the because <laughs> the dummies are doing it now. Um, <laughs> the normies, uh, the normies are here. Yeah, the normies know about it. This thing's over. Um, <laughs> I can't believe that that applies to stocks as well as I don't know, like everything oh, absolutely. in pop culture. That's yeah. like the best. Okay. Yo, totally. There's yeah. When you start hearing stuff like when you know when my. Uh, I turned out I was wrong, but when my mom asked about Bitcoin, I was like, "Welp." Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, which is a whole other topic. Um, so you know, but Robinhood's a relatively small company in the grand scheme of things, uh, and something that tripped up the the GameStop people was that they couldn't absorb the amount of volume, wow. and that ended up kind of shutting the whole project down. There are other low-cost traders like E-Trade and Schwab. Uh, but the honestly, I don't really... Uh, that's not where I do investing. Um, right. And it's kind of counter to my investment philosophy. Uh, but, you know, I... You know, when someone says that they want to have some like play money and just, you know, put a, put a little bit of money into the market just for fun, you know, that you can use those kinds of places. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's a perfectly valid way to to get into the market in that way. I don't think they're, I don't think they're a way to build wealth over time, but if you want to have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good, that's a, that's a good differentiator. Um, you, you know, you did mention Bitcoin and you said that's a whole other thing. I do want to ask about that for a brief <laughs> second because I, I have never personally been tempted by crypto, like in any sort of way. And it's mostly Lewis, to be honest, because I'm stupid and I don't understand these things. Um, and it also just feels like monopoly money to me. So mm-hmm. um, I, we probably have some folks on the discord that own some crypto and, and I know there are folks listening to this that have dabbled in it or saw that Bitcoin is worth 55 grand or whatever it was uh, a few days ago. Um, what do you say to someone that comes to you and is like, I get in trouble on this one. Um, uh, so I wrote an article a, a while back all about like personal financial planning. And there, had, there was one line uh, that was like, if you want to talk about cryptocurrency, uh, just don't. This is like one line. And I got so much like that was like the first thing that I got any feedback on. So um, I'm I'm not I recognize that that some people have made money off of it. Sure. I think there's some interesting technology going on. I think it's dumb as a person who (laughs) thinks about finance. I'm also, you know, I'm going to say out loud that I am wrong a lot and then I don't pick. So like trying to pick winners and losers, I, I help people do risk management and pick diversified portfolios. I also thought the iPod was dumb because I was like, who wants to buy a little hard drive from Apple computers? (laughs) Um, So, you know, when you're when you're trying to like make a bet on the future, maybe don't listen to me. Um, but I think it's fascinating because Bitcoin people talk about Bitcoin being an alternative currency and an alternative to dollars, but they still talk about it in terms of dollars. People are buying it because they want to have more U.S. dollars. Yeah. Um, so it can it you know it's turned out to be a good thing for speculation because people decided that it's a good thing for speculation. Uh, I always think it's a little counterintuitive because people talk about that, that, you know, 
the dollar, the economy are all inventions of the human mind, but so is Bitcoin, so is gold. Um, I think it's interesting uh, being, you know, making a decentralized currency. Yeah. The ledgering system is interesting, uh, you know, but that's a pretty nerdy thing to get excited about a novel accounting system. <laughs> um, you know, I... Uh, I I know plenty of people, my, myself included, uh, this is a, a tangent, I did a, a sh an event uh, called Nerd Night for years and years, and we had a Bitcoin presentation once. And just for that night only, we took Bitcoins at the merch table um, and then never thought about it again. Uh, and that's pro there's probably like $10,000 in that account, but no one knows how to get into that wallet. Uh, and I just like, it's... I don't, it doesn't even bother me. Like, and I know so many people of like, well, these coins are now permanently inaccessible. Um, Does that drive up the value of those specific coins though? Uh, no, because I mean, you, well, stuck. it does make the supply smaller. Yeah, it does. Um, and it, it is a fixed supply. So I do wonder like, is eventually like, are all the Bitcoins <laughs> going to get lost in wallets that no one remembers the passwords to? I, I love the idea that people are going to start trading inaccessible wallets, like, uh, like baseball cards. You know? So, okay. This is a great tangent because I think this is a good example for understanding money and that value is just a thing that we invented. Right. One of the earliest known currencies uh is was this pacific island and it was the currency was giant round stones and there were mm. only a handful of them they were so big that they couldn't move them but it was just understood that when you traded them that it was now you know it went from being john's to being lewis's um and everyone knew that that one over there is lewis's <laughs> one of them they tried to move it and it was on a canoe and the canoe sank and the giant stone went to the bottom of the ocean. And, but they just kept trading it because they knew, like, well, it's just down at the bottom of the ocean. So I can imagine, like, that maybe all the coins will get locked up and it will just be trading hard drives. And it's like, well, we know it's on there. So, <laughs> but, That's you know, if, if we went from big rocks to shells, um, you know, people are all, all currencies are invented. So the idea, the fact that Bitcoin is invented isn't, you know, that special. Right. Um, do I wish I had, you know, bought them when I heard people talking? Uh, let me say, I don't wish I bought them. I wish I had them, but because right. having a lot of money is nice, but sure. uh, I don't, I don't buy concentrated positions I, at all. I guess that's how I feel about it. Is that like, I don't, yeah. I don't like regret. Like if I snap my fingers and I just had it, I'd be like, Oh wow. Cool. But I don't yeah. regret not getting into it, I guess. Yeah. Um, same. Okay, cool. Uh, okay. Um, you mentioned student loans. Um, someone asked in, in the Discord, is home ownership viable for people with student or other miscellaneous debt? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I would much rather talk about student loans um, than GameStop and Bitcoin. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, no, just in general, there's the things that people are interested in and the things that people matter in people's lives. Um because I, that's the thing I deal with. I, and I don't think I've said this because I'm an investment advisor, but I deal with like regular people. So people who are coming to me who like have no money in the bank or, you know, have their first job. Um, and the biggest thing that I see over and over is 
people coming with student loans. And so like coming out of school and having the equivalent of a mortgage. Um, yeah, depending on the amount of student loans, because some people, you know, come to me and they've got $10,000 in student loans. Some people come and they've got, you know, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 in student loans. Um, and it can certainly impact one's ability to buy a house uh, because it impacts one's ability to save. Um, you know, uh, ideally you have like 10, 20% down when you buy a house, right. uh, which in most places is a comical amount of money. Yes. Um, you know, the median home price in Austin is now like $400,000. So that's a 40 to $80,000 down payment, uh, assuming you can find a house. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amount of time it takes to save forty to eighty thousand dollars by then, you know, the house prices have gone up. So, I think you know the problems in housing and the problems in student loans go hand in hand, and I think are kind of the more, one of the most pressing issues um, in personal finance. Uh, so, when someone is buying a home, uh, you you need money to make your down payment. Uh, it, it's which is usually at minimum like 5%, sometimes lower. I I try to like encourage people to have at least 10% when they go to do it. 20% is ideal for various reasons. Um, but when one you go of, to one get of those a, reasons is mortgage insurance, correct? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, private mortgage insurance, which is when the the bank requires you to buy insurance for them yeah. against you defaulting if you have less than twenty percent in the house. That that was a fun thing I learned uh, yeah. from my own ownership uh, uh, ordeal last year. Is that yeah, like if you and you're right, like twenty percent down on a house almost anywhere is a comical amount of money, mm-hmm. and you know we didn't have that, and um. Yeah, yeah. When you do ten percent or around that, anything under twenty, I think they usually. Yeah, anything under twenty, you have to pay private mortgage insurance PMI, which can add hundreds of dollars to the loan and does you no good. Yep. Uh, And and you know there are there are strategies for dealing with that. Uh, But when you go to get a home loan, they are looking at your debt to income ratio. They want to see your payments compared to your gross income. So they, and they like to see it be under 36%, you, up to 36% of your income can be calculated into the mortgage. It, it can be higher, but 36% is kind of considered the sweet spot. Um, after that, you start getting higher interest rates. And so a consequence, if you, you know, have $1,000 of monthly payments, that's $1,000 that can't be going towards something else. Uh, So you can either get into a place where all of your debt-to-income ratio is being absorbed by your student loans and you can't get a loan, like, at all, or you can't get as much house. Um, That said, uh, you know, it requires patience and there's a lot of frustration around being buying a home, but buying a home is a like long-term thing. And I've seen people over and over their place in life changes. Um, you know, their income goes up, they focus in on their student loans and they go down, uh, they get their payment down. So it's always, you know, manageable, uh, in some way. And when you're buying a house, you just have to remember that there is no hurry to buy a house like you're making a decades long commitment and if it takes you a few years to get ready for it you know that's fine and you shouldn't feel bad about it yeah uh 
that's that's a lot of helpful info um kind of in that same vein uh paying off debt first seems to be kind of the conventional wisdom according to this person who asked the question and i i pretty sure i know how you feel about this as well um but on smaller salaries there's usually a ton of guilt associated with making uh what purchases for vacations things that you just want stuff like that what is and i love the way this was phrased what's a non non-finance bro viewpoint on debt I, payoff that and, is the highest compliment i'm gonna get um, <laughs> yeah i thought so I, and thank you for assuming a question asker <laughs> wow I, think, I, I, I honestly it's a it's a compliment to me because i think i was bringing someone on the show and they assumed it was not going to be a oh that part. is great and i was like uh, oh that's really sweet so yeah, yeah. That is sweet yeah. um yeah people need to this is such a common problem so like i said i work with people who are just can i say shit like, oh, oh yeah yeah yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 who are trying to get their shit together right. um and so there's these common impulses around dealing with credit cards and not holding on to your own money, not using your money for yourself. Um, I see people all the time who have credit card debt and they just throw every dime that they can find at it and never really get anywhere because they throw all their money at their credit card and then they have no money and they end up reaching for their credit card. Um, so without, you know, I could, I could use the whole hour talking, uh, a whole hour just talking about budgets and how to structure, structure them and pay off debt. But I'll, what I always have to be able to focus in on is picking a goal and focusing in on it. So right. sa- to me, savings, it does include debt repayment, but so savings is getting rid of high interest debt, building up emergency funds and working towards investing for retirement. So oftentimes I'll like first focus in on getting people to like have some money, like have 500 bucks, have a thousand bucks in the bank before you start focusing in on credit cards. Um, I like to have people do like 10 to 20% of their uh, take home income towards getting rid, towards building financial security, towards savings. So, um, you know, assuming that that's realistic, that they have the flexibility in their budget and they can meet all their minimum payments, I'll ask them, like, make all, you know, save up a little bit of money so that you're not reaching for your credit card anymore. Like, before I'm worried about them making their credit card smaller, I just want to see that they're not reaching for their credit cards at all anymore. Right. Like, show yourself that you uh, could theoretically be out of this cycle because credit card debt is a is a cycle that you have to break and it requires a lot of hard work and and a lot of luck as well so making minimum payments and then so if you if you have 500 bucks a month that you can dedicate towards paying off debt use that make all your minimum payments and then do the difference towards either the lowest balance or the highest interest um, and there and there's reasons for doing one or the other, and it really depends on the person and like their psychology. But also have some budget for yourself. Like I'll ask people to have twenty percent going towards getting rid of their debt, and thirty percent that's going towards spending. And that that is their business on how they spend it. Like if yeah. you don't invest in yourself, if you don't do some self care, if you don't take vacations or buy yourself clothes or eat food that if you're not investing in yourself, eventually you're going to snap and you're going to 
have a fuck it moment and you're going to order your whole Amazon cart or dump a bunch of money onto your credit card because nothing matters. Um, you need to make things matter. And so like I take that spending that uh, I call it discretionary, that car, that budget just as seriously as the savings budget. If you want to use some of that money towards your card, like you're, you can because it's your money to choose how to use it. But you also like, should not feel uh, any guilt at all. Like if that's what that budget is set aside for and you want to, you know, get away for a weekend or buy a cool pair of sneakers or like buy nicer food, don't hesitate. And I definitely don't. I, I often, <laughs> I, yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned buying that whole Amazon card. That's not even a snap moment for me, uh, but no, that's, that's really good. I mean, I think like that is something I see a lot um, on, I mean, you know, I'm on the hell site Twitter all the time and I do, and I do feel like in the realm of kind of financial um, like health and literacy and all that stuff. And I'll, I'll talk about that phrase later on. Um, like I think that's the thing I see the most is this kind of overwhelming guilt of trying to justify why someone makes a purchase if they can't afford it. They have to justify it to themselves. They have to justify it to like strangers on the internet. I see an unbelievable amount of guilt and I just wonder, you know, some of it is just changing the conversation entirely about how I think capitalism works personally. Yeah. But let's all remember that the real problem is capitalism. Let's all remember that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like a lot of it, but I also think like, um, you know, while we're in it, uh, hopefully a temporary problem. Um, uh, it seems like this kind of like guilt management is something that people spend a lot of time on. And that's really sad. Um, I don't know. This is something I've, I've observed. Yeah. And that's why I try to like encourage people to have a budget that's specifically for that. You know, if, if, um, and you know, people in couples are more right. like to have, you know, there's money for the household to just like live and buy groceries and go to restaurants, but also like if you can and you need to, like everyone in the household should have some guilt-free money so that yeah. they can do whatever they want and with no judgment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people on Twitter can fuck off. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, uh, so there, there was kind of a lot of expressed fatigue, both in Discord and just online about like the freelancing carousel. I mean, I think this is a... Um, kind of evergreen problem, Ooh, but I yeah. think it's been particularly tough over the past year for a lot of folks. Permanent jobs seem a little bit tough to grasp, uh, especially right now. Um, what are kind of general tips that you would have for folks who are their own boss right now? You know, uh, building up infrastructure and organization and understanding what it is to be your own boss um, can do yourself a lot of favors and uh, getting the help that you need, uh, people like people who are bosses, like, you know, I'm CEO of a little company. Uh, we don't do everything. We delegate, um, at, at a certain point you have to ask for help and get people who are better at something to help you. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's in a world where like everything is going good and you're making enough money. Uh, but what I ask people to do is have some level of organization. Um, I don't know how to create more work for them, um, but I can tell you how to take advantage of the work that you have. Um, 
so you know starting with very basics of like understanding what you need as a person to live like doing an inventory of all of your obligations your rent your phone bills all your subscriptions so that you have some comprehension of what um you need to make and this is a place where i find people get tripped up a lot of like thinking how much they need to that how much they need to make um it is it is more effective to reduce expenses than it is to make more money it helps to do both um but oftentimes i'll tell people like in order for you that your self-employment to be sustainable you take the amount of like bills that you have and multiply by two that's the amount of money that you need to have a sustainable budget um so if you have $1,500 in expenses, you need $30,000 a month, which means you need to be netting $3,000 after taxes and expenses from your business. Mm -hmm. And like asking yourself, is that realistic? Um, and what do you need to do to get to that? You might not be at $3,000 a month or whatever then, but at least you have a goal. So identifying that goal is often really helpful uh, because it helps people decide what types of jobs to pursue, uh, what what position to negotiate from um, because otherwise you're just like, I need money and that person's <laughs> offering me money. Um, so even it can be daunting and terrifying to see how much you need to make, uh, but it gives you an anchor point. So that's uh, oftentimes where I ask people to start. Um, a big thing that a lot of people don't have going is a separate account for their business, a separate checking account for their business, either another a separate personal or business checking account, um, and receiving all the money into their business um, and paying themselves out of that. Oftentimes people just have like a central account, everything's coming in and out of it, they don't know what their expenses are, they don't really know what they're making. So right. like getting just that like basic level of organization uh, can really change your business and take a lot of the mental load off. That's oftentimes what I'm trying to get people to do is take the mental load off. So if you just have a place where you're like, people pay you into, you pay yourself out of, you pay all your expenses, um, that can be a lot easier than having it all mixed in together. Uh, that's pretty low hanging fruit. Um, because what I think a lot of people don't realize is, you know, deducting tax deductions, deducting from their income, um, that all the expenses that they have related to running their business can be deducted from their income. Right. And so that's like one of the, the, one of the few silver linings of being self-employed is having some control. Like if you're, if you're just an employee driving to a job site, you have to pay for your own gas. If you're self-employed and you're driving to a job site, you get to deduct 55 cents per mile. Um, so finding deductions and making your income on on paper as small as possible because then your taxable income is as small as possible. Uh, oftentimes I'll try to encourage people to like, you have to be budgeting and saving as a person and budgeting and saving as a business uh, so that you can build up enough money to give yourself um, money every month to live. Uh, and just understanding that you either have been forced into or are choosing the extra load of being the business and the person. Um, and that it's not for everyone. And that, you know, if an opportunity to get a stable job comes up, um, there is no shame in just saying like, I, I just want to show up and get paid, go for it. Like not everyone right. needs to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone needs to be self-employed. Um, 
because it is more than twice as hard to do both of the things. Yeah. Uh, but it's also can be really gratifying. And if you've just been forced into it, you can at least do yourself the favor of having some organization. Um, working, if you can afford it, working with an accountant or CPA to do your books, understanding that you should have books um, <clears throat> in order to keep track of your business expenses and understand what you're able to pay yourself. Right is so huge like it took me a while to admit that for my own business and once i started doing it it was just a game changer to really understand to have someone help me understand what's going on in my business totally um quickly you mentioned you know it's it's harder to just kind of magically make more money than to manage your expenses but someone did ask about negotiation negotiating salaries and also asking for raises which i also might be able to chime in on do you have any uh, advice for for those things you know um maybe a little bit but all from like <laughs> things i could have done better in my own career yeah um so doing doing your research and knowing what you should be paid what finding out what other people are being paid and expecting um that yourself and when you go to ask for more money uh making a clear case for why you should and also be uh, I think one of the most effective things and this is you know a place of privilege if you're in this position but being ready to walk away um, yes. knowing what you what you want what you're worth and being able, like able to walk away because of this if they can tell that you're probably bluffing they're not going to do it and if you say well thanks thanks anyway good luck with this you've just dramatically increased the odds that they will pay, pay you what you ask, but you need to like know what the market going market is for your skill. Um, if you're self-employed, I encourage people to think about budgeting by the project rather than by the hour. Cause people don't really right. care how many hours you worked, but they care like what value you deliver to is. them. Right. Um, but having documentation and having visibility, uh, is really important because if they don't know what you've been doing, they don't know what it took to get that value to them, it's going to be hard to justify it. So having like really good documentation showing all the things you did and like, here's yeah. why you should pay me more. I did this, 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 and this, you would have had to do this on your own. Uh, but you had me and that's worth something to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, there can be a lot of opacity in the market around what people are making, but that's why it's important to not be shy about talking about money, talk to your peers and yes. have open conversations. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think that would be my one piece of advice, at least for, you know, negotiating. Um, yeah. Talk to your coworkers. Like it's really okay. Like yeah. your HR, your HR director doesn't want you to do that probably. Um, but 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 fuck that. Like I think yeah. you you need to understand what other people in the company are making and why they're making it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that has to be the crux of your entire negotiation strategy because then that turns into a weird like, well, so-and-so makes this, so I should make this, where you're going to do a lot better by understanding what other people in the company make while also building a case just for yourself. Like yeah. I think I think your point about building kind of what you've accomplished and what you've done is actually really smart because this is coming from a position of absolute like 
uh, authority and expertise here. But like if you come to me, for example, someone who is at the almost tippy top of a company um, and you're asking for a raise, there's a really good chance. I'm just being honest with you. I actually don't know what you've accomplished over the past 12 months. Yes. And, and like, if you lay it out to me, what that does, at least to me in my little brain is I sit there and I get really impressed over mm-hmm. that 20 minute period. And I go, wow, you did do all that. Wow. Huh? And then it yeah. feels awfully silly for me to say no. And it feels awfully silly for me not to advocate <laughs> for those things. So it's, um, it's just really, uh, I don't know. It's just really good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Our, our, your, our, your boss isn't thinking about you and what you do all day. You need to. <laughs> No, I mean, like, and that's true. It's like, I really try to be a hands-on, um, uh, yeah, not to turn this into boss talk, uh, but it's like, welcome to boss talk. Uh, no one wants to fucking hear that, but, but it's like, I think, I think that's legit. It's like, I really care about what everyone is doing and, and in the company, but like it's 50 people. Right. And I don't, you know, and so if you're at an even bigger organization, chances are your manager or the person actually making the decisions about raises has very little idea what you're doing and you yeah. need to make a case for it. And if that feels like overboard or kind of like unfair, like you have to build that case. Um, I understand why that feels a little bit like, I don't know, kind of weird or tricky, but yeah. because you've already done the work. Right. But it it's just, it's, you still have to do a certain amount of promotion for yourself. And I think that's, that's really it for me. Totally. Um, and I think, uh, if you feel like you're in a position when you're looking at, uh, at changing roles or going into a new role, um, when they do your best to not answer the question of what you're expecting for this role, ask them what they budgeted for the role. I've been shocked how like that they'll just tell you, uh, yeah. Because if you ask a savvy question, they can say, oh, well, we've, you know, this range is what we had in mind. Yes. Um, yeah. And employers, if you're listening, you know, just publish what you're going to pay. Don't waste people's time. Don't waste your own time. I don't like why people spend so much time uh, fighting over uh pay rates just say what it's going to be. And you already know. Like that's the yeah. thing is that like, yeah. like <laughs> when we put when we post a job uh, this is from experience. We know exactly what we're expecting to pay for that. Yeah. Now, uh, have we sometimes been wrong about the range that we expected for like someone that we're getting maybe, but like we always know ahead of time. And so the idea that like people just can't publish this stuff is silly. It's just yeah. really, really ridiculous. So, yeah. And, and try to work with people who are open and willing to talk about it. Yeah. Like if companies are hiding it, it might say something about the culture. Yep. Yep. Uh, briefly, because I know we have to we have to wrap in a second. But uh, someone asked about how, to, how their own company or companies uh, leverage kind of this idea of financial literacy as maybe a reason why some people kind of excel and some God. people don't. Um, I yeah. Speak speak to that a bit because it is something uh, a bit insidious that I I feel like I've seen. In a couple Thank of you. I, I'm glad that you're coming from that place too. Um, I yeah. I find that concept of financial literacy insidious. I hate the idea the concept of financial literacy, which is often, uh, you know, people assume that that's what I'm coming in to give them financial literacy. Uh, financial literacy was invented to sell trucks. It was literally invented uh, by Ford when they uh, started doing, when they realized that they could finance their vehicles and 
give people loans to buy vehicles. And so they, you know, had this whole pl marketing plot of you are so savvy. You're going to come in <laughs> and you're going to get a loan and you're going to drive off in this nice red truck and you're going to have the best truck on your block because you are so savvy with money. Like the, the concept of financial literacy is, um, like is to is counter to our everyone's best interest it came out of deregulating um the financial markets it used to be that it was basically impossible for a regular person to go into debt um and and you know companies had pensions um and so you know pensions have gone away in favor of doing your own uh, investing, uh, and, you know, there's all sorts of loans that you're expected to be savvy enough. Like, I think it's ridiculous that people are expected to know how to build a portfolio, how to know when to buy different types of insurance while also like raising their families and living their lives. Yeah. Um, you know, I, that doesn't, it, it still is true that you need to know stuff. I really love a book called all your worth that was written by then, Professor Elizabeth Warren, um, I like, I ask people to, rather than being financially literate, being in, like knowing enough to ask good questions and do their own research, um, but also to be demanding systemic changes that don't expect 300 million people to navigate the world of compounding um, over the course of 90 years uh, is just dumb. Yeah. That, that's uh, that's awesome. That's a great answer. Um, Lewis, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, I already know I'm going to invite you back to do another round of this because I suspect it will be very useful and popular uh, to to have someone um, on that knows this stuff. So that would, I would that love would be to. Amazing. It's a lot awesome. of fun. Um, where can folks find you online? Do you have things to plug, et cetera? Oh, uh, yeah, you can find me at Money Positive. There's an email on there, info at Money Positive, Lewis at Money Positive, L-E-W-I-S. Um, if you want to see lots of pictures of, of bread and fish, you can follow me on Twitter. I was going I to say. I don't talk about If you follow Lewis on Twitter, it's not about finances. Yeah. It's, about, um, it's about sourdough bread and it's about <laughs> fish. And that's like that's like a great combo. So. Yeah, I mean, do come follow me on Twitter. That stuff's yeah. fun. But yeah. but no, I love people can reach out to me. I'll give anybody a free hour. There's a place on uh, on the website to get in touch with me and get on my calendar. I will happily give everyone listening uh, a free hour too. Awesome uh, to talk. Well, that's so that's so cool. All right, Lewis. Uh, well, we will talk to you soon. Thanks so Thanks, much, John. Thanks for having me on. It's good to see you. Let's talk TV, shall we? It's not even really TV anymore, is it? It's just a big jumble of services we forgot we signed up for, and then we end up paying more than we ever did for cable. Anyway, I'm Andy Rooney, and this has been 60 Minutes. <laughs> Speaking of CBS, though, CBS All Access is turning into Paramount Plus, a full rebrand of the CBS service with more original series and more robust options for your streaming pleasure. The $4.99 tier is coming in June with access to Paramount Films, Paramount Plus Originals, current CBS shows, and more. The libraries Paramount Plus brings into the fold include Nickelodeon, BET, Comedy Central, MTV, and more. A $10 tier will come later this year 
year and will include live sports on CBS networks and live news in addition to, to the other content. MTV will launch a classic, uh, a new version of the classic reality series, The Real World, uh, among other shows. Nickelodeon, for its part, will bring new Avatar content into the world by way of Avatar Studios, a new animation studio helmed by the series' co-creators. There's even a Frasier reboot coming, which I'm particularly cautiously optimistic about. Uh, movies like the upcoming Mission Impossible 7 will come to Paramount Plus only 45 days after it comes out in theaters, meaning you're getting some pretty serious bang for your buck if you can wait to watch Tom Cruise do his own stunts for a month and a half. Although Paramount may not have the same brand cachet as Netflix or Disney, the streaming service seems pretty robust, actually, for well-rounded tastes, so it'll be interesting to see how it fares in a crowded market. Speaking of the House of Mouse, we now know the release dates of some pretty major Disney properties. The Mighty Ducks Game Changers will follow old Gordon Bombay as he leads a ragtag group to upend the current iteration of the eponymous hockey team, which is now an arrogant and overcompetitive super team. It starts streaming on Disney Plus on March 26th. Star Wars The Bad Batch features an elite squad of clones in the aftermath of the Clone Wars. It drops on May 4th. And Loki, the highly anticipated series that follows the MCU trickster everyone loves to hate, will start on June 11th. Finally, uh, Monsters, Inc. is getting a spinoff series called Monsters at Work, which starts on July 2nd. Hey, it's the day after my birthday. Uh, The series will follow the Monster, Inc. workers who just recently discovered that laughter is massively more efficient than fear. Uh, Billy Crystal and John Goodman reprise their roles as Mike Wazowski and James P. Sullivan, respectively. Capcom confirmed with us in an interview this week with producer Ryozo Sujimoto and director Yasunori Ichinose that the upcoming Monster Hunter Rise will not only come to Switch, but to PC as well. The PC port will be out next year. Monster Hunter World encountered some issues as it, as it made its way uh, from consoles to PC and a long stagger between March 26th Switch release and the nebulous 2022 date for PC seems to indicate there are still very much kinks to be worked out for the latter. Anthem Next, uh, the planned overhaul for BioWare's very troubled looter shooter that came out in 2019, has been canceled by publisher EA. Bloomberg posted several weeks ago that a decision could be made one way or another soon, and that decision was made to move away from this new IP and back into Mass Effect and Dragon Age as a studio-wide initiative. Dragon Age, for its part, will reportedly go back to being a single-player game after uh, being in development as a service game for a long time. This move was due to the massive success of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Speaking of Jedi Fallen Order, uh, developer Respawn will apparently enjoy more independence as a studio as a result of their recent successes, meaning EA will reportedly not meddle in the future of the company's products. And this is absolutely the best news you could hope for if you want to see Titanfall 3 get made. Uh, Finally, Jim Bell, CFO for GameStop, was paid $2.8 million to exit his role from the company this week after the historic rise and fall of the company's stock price. Very many things were out of his hands, and no reason was given in the parting press release, but the overall volatility of GameStop makes Chief Financial Officer one of the most treacherous jobs you could have there, you know, besides working in literally any of the retail stores during COVID-19.
Hey, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Thanks for the Knowledge. Uh, I want to thank Lewis Weil for stopping by and being my guest and having a great conversation about personal finance in a non-scary way. I thought that was really cool. I hope you learned a lot. I certainly did. Uh, I want to thank the entire news team for Fanbyte. That's Imran Khan. That's Kenneth Shepard. That's Natalie Flores. Uh, we had a super busy week, and they helped a lot with all of these stories. Uh, if you want to check out all of our wonderful podcasts, you can do so over at podcastnet.work. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at floppy adult if you want to follow our wonderful producer paul tamayo on twitter you could do that at poly mayo that is p-o-l-i-m-a-y-o uh you know what i hope you'll have a really good rest of your week and until next time you're welcome